Our scripture reading this afternoon is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, in connection with what we believe concerning the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, beginning at verse 15. You, the Lord Jesus, is speaking to his followers. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes, and when it does come to pass, you may, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, For the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. And let's also read what we confess in Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 20, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me, by true faith, share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. After the proclamation of God's word, we will voice our amen together by singing from Psalm 25, stanzas 2 and 7. Brothers and sisters, In our Lord Jesus Christ, if you look back at Lord's Days 18 and 19, you'll see that we confess there the magnificent and wonderful results of Christ's ascension into heaven. In Lord's Day 18, we confess that the result of Christ's ascension is that he sends his Holy Spirit, by whose power we seek the things that are above. In Lord's Day 19, we confess that By his Holy Spirit, the ascended Christ pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. So we've already confessed that the blessings of Christ, the benefits of Christ's 
are ours and come to us through the Holy Spirit. And then we come to Lord's Day 20, where we confess who the Spirit is and who He is for us. So I proclaim to you God's Word with this theme, the Holy Spirit is Christ's blessing to us. We will consider the wonder of this blessing, and secondly, the blessing of this wonder. So we confess that the Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. We do not confess what the Spirit is, but who He is. That's an important distinction. We do not speak of the Spirit as it, but as He. At the same time, it's still difficult for us to imagine who He is. The word Spirit might remind you of the word ghost, and some English translations use that word. They use the term Holy Ghost instead of Holy Spirit, and there's two hymns in our book of praise, hymn 6 and hymn 9, that also use the designation Holy Ghost. So then how are we to define or describe the third person in the Trinity? Well, in the Bible, in both the Old and in the New Testament, the word that is translated as spirit is a word that actually means breath or wind. That's why in Genesis 1 verse 2, for example, we read that the Spirit of God was hovering or moving over the surface of the waters. Here we have a picture of the Spirit caring for the creation that God is making. Elsewhere, the Spirit is described as a gentle breath. In John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus is speaking to His disciples, and we read there, when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. In other instances, the Spirit comes not as a gentle wind, but as a strong wind. In Acts 2, verse 2, When the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, we read about the Spirit arriving or descending upon believers coming from heaven with a noise like a violent rushing wind that filled the whole house where they were sitting. And of course, we know that wind can be gentle and soft. It can also be strong and forceful. In the same way, the Bible teaches us that while the Spirit can be gentle, He is always, and at the same time, powerful and mighty. He is always accomplishing the purposes of God. In our confession, as well as in many places in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is also referred to as holy, the Holy Spirit. And the basic meaning of the word holy is the notion of being set apart or different. That's why Paul and other New Testament letter writers address God's people as saints. They are holy. It means they're set apart from that which is worldly. They are set apart from evil, set apart for God's service. So to say that God is holy means that He is wholly different, W-H-O-L-L-Y. He is holy. He is completely different, separate from His creation. He is set apart from sin and that which is earthly. And so just as we confess that God is holy, we also confess that the Holy Spirit is holy. The Holy Spirit then is the Spirit of God, a divine breath. And yet this divine breath is not a thing or a force, but is in fact God Himself, the third person of the Trinity. The Bible clearly describes the Holy Spirit as a person, not a mere force. Just to give some examples, Ephesians 4 verse 30 states the Spirit can be grieved. 
1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 7, the Spirit has a will. He also uses His mind to search the deep things of God, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. And He has fellowship with believers, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. So clearly the Spirit is a person, not just, or just as the Father and the Son are persons. And, this, and Scriptures puts this person on the same level as the Father and the Son, so that those who are to be baptized are baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One of the most convincing statements in the Bible about the Holy Spirit being God is found in Acts chapter 5. There we read the story of Ananias and his wife, and they lied about the price of a piece of land, of a piece of property. And Peter said that Satan had filled Ananias's heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, chapter 5, verse 3. And then Peter concludes by saying that Ananias has lied to God. So Peter's words equate the Holy Spirit with God. He spoke as if the Spirit and God were one and the same. Now when Jesus spoke of the Spirit, he told the disciples that the Holy Spirit was the helper. It was different from himself. The Father would send the helper, the Spirit of truth, after Christ departed. The Spirit would speak through them about Jesus, John 15, verse 25. But notice that when Jesus speaks in this way, he, all three persons that he mentions are God, while being distinct from each other within the Trinity. And that's why we confess what we confess in Lord's Day 20, that the Holy Spirit is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. He is equal with the Father and the Son. And the wonder of it all is, congregation, that this Holy Spirit is not remote from us. He does not remain far removed from us. He's not out there somewhere so that His person does not touch us. We confess He is also given to me. To me. That's very personal, isn't it? He has given to me a finite human creature. And who is this creature? Well, this creature is, is the one that God created with an honorable position of being an image bearer of God, the one who had the responsibility to obey God's wishes. But he threw away this privileged position through his willful disobedience against his Creator. And yet, for this same creature, God sent His Son into this world. And for this same creature, the Son entered this world and went to the cross to atone for sin, to reconcile this sinful creature to His Maker. And as we confess in Lord's Days 18 and 19, it is for the benefit of this creature that Christ ascended into heaven to intercede for us and to govern the world for the salvation of those for whom the Father had given Him. And after he ascended into heaven, this Christ returned in the Holy Spirit. You see, congregation, the Savior did not leave us alone. He did not leave us as orphans. He says that himself. We read that in John 14, verse 18. But he himself, together with the Father, come to make, comes to make his home with us. Verse 23. So it's very plain from Scripture then that the Holy Spirit is none other than the Spirit of Christ Himself. In fact, we could even say that Christ Himself has returned to us, 
For what, is, what does he say to his disciples in, in 14, verse, verse 18? I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. And that's a profound thought, isn't it? That's, a, that's an incredible thought. The Holy Spirit, this divine breath, is none other than the Savior who laid down His life for us. And He wants to come and make His home with me. How is that even possible? If God's Word didn't tell me that, I wouldn't believe it. Our confession says it so well in Lord's Day 18, answer 47. With respect to His human nature, Christ is no longer on earth, but with respect to His divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, He is never absent from me. And who can fully understand this? We can't really fathom this, can we? And understand how this all comes together. But we learn this from Scripture and we confess I may believe that the Spirit of Christ, who is true and eternal God with the Father and the Son, is given to me. To me, a sinner. And I am a home for the Spirit of Christ. It's hard to think of something more amazing or incredible or wonderful than that, isn't it? It's truly a wonder a wonder with which Christ blesses us. And now that we've considered the wonder of this blessing, let's also consider the blessing of this wonder. We confess in, further in Lord's Day 20 that the Holy Spirit is given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ in all His benefits, to comfort me, and to live with me forever. While well, we've already learned from Scripture that the Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a gift to us from the Father and the Son. We do not acquire the Spirit ourselves, but He comes to us freely, and we may and must accept His presence with gratitude, with wonder. And that makes our confession and the work of the Spirit very personal, as I already mentioned previously. And that begs the question, can you say that this is true for you as well? Our confession is very personal. He is given to me. And so we need to ask, do I recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life? We can't really avoid that question because if you believe and confess that the Holy Spirit is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God, you can't avoid the question of whether or not He is given to you. And the Catechism forces us to answer questions like that. How is your faith? Is the Holy Spirit working in you? How are you working with the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life? That's the kind of question you might be asked at a home visit. And hopefully that doesn't result in awkward silence. We often tend to avoid personal questions, don't we? Also when the Word of God directly confronts us with what lives in our hearts. But it's vitally important, brothers and sisters, you too, boys and girls, it's vitally important that we are able to confess the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life because this is not an abstract matter. We don't know of the Spirit's presence because of some mystical feeling that we have. 
but we know of His presence because of the evidence. He assures us of our faith. He makes us willing to serve our God. So the Bible doesn't teach us that the presence of the Spirit is something mystical, but His presence is noticeably practical. His presence is evidenced by faith and good works. You see, it's not possible for a person who is indwelt by the Spirit to look and live like someone who does not have the Spirit. We confess the Spirit is almighty and powerful. And then given who He is, when when He dwells in someone, that indwelling will become apparent. It will become evident. So a person who is a home for the Spirit cannot look like a person who does not have the Spirit. And that's why the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, for example, contrasts the lifestyle of those who do not have the Spirit with those who do have the Spirit. And he urges the Galatian believers to live by the Spirit. And he uses pretty plain language to describe the conduct of the natural man, that is, of someone who doesn't have the Spirit. The works of the sinful nature, writes Paul, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In contrast, however, the fruits of the Spirit look very different. Those who are indwelt by the Spirit bear fruit in keeping with this blessing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. The works of the sinful nature, while they come naturally to everyone, including us, but the fruit of the Spirit is so obviously different, isn't it? It is holy. It is out-of-this-world behavior. And such fruit is obvious evidence of the Spirit's presence. And when we experience this, then we may certainly confess the presence of the Spirit in our life. And that's not spiritual pride, because the Spirit is a gift from God. There can be no pride when someone admits that he or she has received an undeserved gift. Rather, we receive this gift with humility. We live by what we have received, not by what we have earned, because we haven't earned anything. But then we must also do what the Word of God calls us to do. As Paul wrote to the Galatians, live by the Spirit. And so, one of the obvious follow-up questions might be something like this. Do the people that you work with, the people you play sports with, the people you do business with, do they see that you have been set apart by the Spirit of God? I trust that they know that you go to church, but do they also see your love? Do they see your kindness, your gentleness, your faithfulness, your self-control? And what do our families look like to our neighbors? Can our neighbors see that our families function differently than what 
many families in the world function like? Can they see in the way that we treat each other that we are a home for the Spirit? Do they see us as gracious and kind, or, or do, they, do they see you yelling at your kids and at each other? In other words, do we live as people who are in awe of the wonder of the blessing of the Spirit? Because there's a great blessing that comes with living that way, congregation. When we do, we will also find great comfort in the presence of the Spirit. That's how this Lord's Day ends, with a confession of comfort. He has given to me to comfort me. And in the biblical sense of the word, comfort has to do with what happens when you face a judge in court. In a court of law, the job of a lawyer or a judge is to make sure that the truth comes out that the truth is revealed. Well, the truth that the Holy Spirit reveals is the truth of the gospel. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth that you are a child of God, that you may call upon God as your Father no matter what your circumstances are. And the comforting work of the Holy Spirit is that He also assures you of your faith. He makes you live as a child of God. By His power, He applies to you what Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. You see, it's not enough that Christ died and rose again. Water cannot quench your thirst if you cannot reach the water. So it is with Christ's work. It doesn't benefit you if it's not applied to you. It is the Holy Spirit who brings you into contact with Christ's work and with Christ by faith. He is the one who makes you hungry for the bread of life and thirsty for living water. He is the one who feeds us that living bread and that living water. It is the Spirit who takes those rich treasures of salvation, right? the forgiveness of sins, the freedom from God's wrath, and He passes them on to us. He opens our ears so we can hear the gospel. He renews our minds so we can understand it. He fills our hearts with the love of God so that we become willing to serve. And He makes us share in Christ in all His benefits. He is our helper and our advocate. You see, what Christ did for His disciples while He was on earth, the Holy Spirit does for us today. Through the power of the Word of God, the Spirit draws our attention to the crucified Christ. Why? Because Christ is the answer. Christ is the answer to all of life's problems. Through Him, Your sins are paid for. You are reconciled to the Father. You are safe for eternity. He assures you of eternal life and makes you heartily willing and ready to serve God. And that's so important to believe because that's so comforting. One day, the work of the Holy Spirit in us and for us will be completed and fulfilled when we live on the new heavens and the new earth. But now we still live in a world that's filled with sorrow and pain. We have to fight against all kinds of temptations and sins. Sometimes we even have great battles with particular sins. And often those are sins that the world thinks, oh, that's just fine. You might even have people telling you, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. And sometimes our own heart whispers, 
also that those sins are maybe not so bad. And at other times it can feel as if the fight against sin is a lonely battle. And yet, congregation, as those who believe in Jesus Christ, we do stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is your strength. The Bible tells us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And He equips us with the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He helps us to live according to that Word. He renews our lives and gives us the will to live for God. You see, Christ does not leave us as orphans. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. He gives me His Holy Spirit to dwell in me, to give me faith, to assure me that I am in Christ and that I share in all His benefits. And that is what gives comfort, that truth. It's not some mystical feeling, but it's faith in Jesus Christ and the promises of the gospel. In the Canons of Dort, we confess that this is clearly a supernatural, most powerful, and at the same time, a most delightful, marvelous, mysterious, and inexpressible work. And God does that work for us and in us for His glory. And may our God then also receive all the thanks and praise that He deserves for this inexpressible gift. Amen.